Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 60. Um, and today we are joined uh, with Lindsay Schmerin. You really messed that I one know, up. It's terrible, terrible. <laughs> Lindsay is the host of Rogue, Rogue Ways podcast. She is a spiritual advisor, spiritual person. Uh, interested in spiritual things spiritual being so we're going to get into some spiritual stuff today um but yes thank you welcome Lindsay. uh you can find Lindsay at rogueways.org correct yes, that's correct and she's also on twitter it's uh a pop oh i'm not going to try to I, that. I was just looking at it you so. can find her at if you search for rogueways she it's, comes up her face yeah, you, Potropaic, it's a patropaic soul very a p o t r o P-A-I-C, soul. For yeah. those who know, don't know what that is, that is a form of magic to ward off evil. Ooh. It's Apotropaic means uh, being naturally resistant to evil, so it doesn't have to be magic. It yeah, can be infused. That's how I know the word. I know yeah. it from, from like using talismans and things like that, like you know the Maldeojo and the Gorgonian and the Greek tradition. And typically amulets and talismans were used for, but I guess you know any form of magic or something that wards off evil and as always links are in the description yes. don't forget to like subscribe comment do all the things we're also taking donations yes, give us so money. you can give us money if you want and i think with that we can just yeah. jump right Kick into it, off, right? it so we discovered Lindsay after she had a conversation with our buddy josh from disaffected podcast and we are very interested in the subject of pathological personalities and the overall um output uh, the impact of evil that that they have on society uh, and culture, and so I thought we we'd kick it off there. And I, I was wondering how how did you hear of Josh? Uh, how did you first get onto the subject of pathological personalities? Yeah, we're, we're always like happy to find someone else who knows about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually. It's actually really surprising how few people really know. And when people know anything, they know of narcissism. But even then, they think that narcissism is being obsessed with how you look in the mirror, which is very, very different from what narcissism actually is. And although I, I have very close, lifelong associations with people who have borderline personality disorder, and so that is how I really get my real education about all of this. I didn't, it's hard to explain why, but I didn't really think about that person's borderline personality disorder for a very long time. I learned of it when I was very young, and then I remembered it again decades later after really severe psychotic type of things were happening that I was like, oh yeah, that person is very unwell actually, and and okay, here's how it fit the pattern this whole time actually. So that was part of it, but I also um, have had other narcissists and, you know, people with borderline personalities or especially cluster Bs, which are the most prevalent, we all know because of Josh or other reasons, uh, in my life for various reasons. So I actually was married to somebody for a short period of time and his, both of his parents were narcissists. Ooh, that's Yeah, right. diagnosed, which also blew my mind because at the time I still wasn't clear on what narcissism really was. And by being around them and knowing them, I started to understand what it actually is. And then I got to see how similar it is to borderline personality and how they're and then eventually i started to understand how those both of those are actually on a spectrum that moves towards sociopathy and then psychopathy at the very end and i'm just fascinated by this whole spectrum of people who seem to have very little to no um actual 
ability to be empathic or understand or care at all about anything outside of themselves, except in as much as they want it to match what is inside of themselves. Yeah, either um, a really like severely reduced conscience or just not. Yes. Yeah. And then I also was very close with, in fact, thought I was in love with and dated someone who later ended up murdering somebody who isn't diagnosed, wow. but probably okay. is a sociopath. Go, yeah, into so, that, go into that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a childhood friend. And, you know, just like the borderline personality disorder, just like the narcissist, when you first meet these people, you often love them so much you're like wow this person like there's just something this magnetic like connection and they really get me and like that's part of their whole shtick right is that they're actually really amazing at identifying what you want to hear what you want to see what it is that makes you feel good because as soon as they can snare you in that way now they can start doing all the other madness to you so they, they, size, they literally size you up so yeah. i remember in the book without conscience by robert hare that was how that was the analogy he used is sort of how a snake will like stretch itself out next to prey to see if it can eat it yeah <laughs> kind of like what they do they size you up because they they want to figure out like all right like can i get something from this person and then from there if they feel they can then they try to figure out all right well what can i what personality do i have to construct yeah. to get them you know comfortable around me etc that's a very well and you know there's i call it studying you like a bug it's very similar right and it's also um oh what was i just going to say <laughs> that's my fault i interrupted you sorry <laughs> no it's okay Oh, they're going to choose the people who are the most, um, we could say codependent or victim mentality like, yeah. right, as well, because then, and I was definitely that. So this person also knew that at so subconscious level, whatever, right? But that's how it goes. Um, and I got that from growing up in an alcoholic family. So, <laughs> right. So I was predisposed to find these people and for them to find me, uh, which is also good to note because it also helps anybody out there listening, identify what it is you can try to heal within yourself to stay away from people like this. You can't heal them. You can't change them. You can't fix them. Uh, but you can protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. From like, them. Eventually get to a point where you should ask yourself, like, why do I keep ending up with people like this? Why yeah. do I keep attracting people like this? Me. There's what is something about here. me that that you know or the wool keeps getting pulled over my eyes why am i so susceptible to this it's well, and then it's funny because then most of us go deeper into the victim thing like why it just keeps happening yeah. and it just keeps in it's like no you're actually doing it to yourself yeah. but you're partly responsible as well you know right so yeah i was i became very close friends with this person and he um he had the eyes too, you know, they talk about the sociopath and the psychopath eyes. There's something that's just like magnetic in there that you just like want to make eye contact. Like that's really creepy and weird. He totally had that going on. Um, and he was just really good. He was actually really, what's really interesting for me looking back at it, I can never figure out out of all the people I watched him screw over, stab in the back, like just be horrible to, and then eventually murder one of them. He literally never, ever did anything wrong to me. He never stabbed me in the back. He never did me dirty. He never lied to me as far as I could tell. And I have no idea why. Because <laughs> so this is why I'm like, I'm not sure if he's like certifiably sociopath or not. I mean, when you murder someone, it, it kind of seems like that's at least one check mark on the like side of sociopathy. Well, but crimes of passion are a thing. You know, murder does sometimes happen in situations where the person accidentally can kill someone. Right. But that's not quite the this same thing. 
this was a premeditated thing? Oh yeah. Okay. I, I I don't know if we want to get into gory details, but it lasted. I, go for we're it. We're fine with that. Rhetoric, <laughs> that dangerous good girl. It uh, lasted. It lasted many days that they tortured this person before oh they. And I say God. they. There was a group of people, and he was oh. not the ringleader. Oh. Did this um, make headlines? Was this in the news? Oh yeah. At that yeah. Where we were, yeah. Okay. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if I want to like get any of that rap call back like, on me. You can share, you can share us like links in private or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was really disturbing. It was actually weird. Why I how I even found out about it. I found out about it within hours of it happening, and then I went to the cops, and like that was its whole own thing. And then now I was a snitch in the eyes of these people who had done this. And, yeah, it was, a, it was a mess, but uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that experience. And um, um, and one of them is about this, you know, how much you can feel like you love and feel like a sociopath loves you back. And then they can go murder someone. <laughs> and like, those things like don't, you know, and this is a part of why people will say things like, oh, he was such a nice guy, though. Or like, oh, no, he lived right next door to me. I knew him for years. Like, he would never do that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he would actually. Yeah, he did. <laughs> people said that about Dahmer. So exactly, all of these people have these same characteristics. So it is interesting too because I can look and I can see some human qualities that are redeemable and redeeming, and that's also weird for me to say. Like you know, I I, I understand that you're irrevocably this thing. There's a there's no redeeming you at all, except that I also see these things that make you very human that I can feel compassion for. And you know, for example, I can see his um life of abuse uh that is often the case right and so but i can see just as many other people with a life of abuse that didn't ever murder anybody yeah and there's also people who didn't have a life of abuse and turned out to be psychopaths as well true we true we don't quite know where it comes from is you know how much of it is nature how much of it is nurture these these are very much un unanswered questions still. very much yeah and then, of course, the spiritual aspect of me says, well, there's, you know, demons, demonic entities and other attachments that can go on, too. But even then, I don't I don't say that that as to excuse any behavior, because I, whatever level, even if we're talking about materialistically or, you know, psychologically, you still you create that, too. You invite that. <laughs> it doesn't just happen. I'm not sitting here like living my best life and suddenly a demon comes and I start killing people, you know. Well, I think so. it's. it's that's just another sort of hypothetical framework you can use right look at things like evil and but what's so interesting about so you know one of the books we're interested in is political ponderology and this idea of studying evil not strictly through the eyes of metaphysics or philosophy but actually using science and you know i think to get a more holistic understanding of what evil is you can't just approach it from the spiritual framework or using language of that sort although it is a framework by which some can view this and try to understand it and our ancestors certainly viewed it in that way right demons attachments possession things like that because we had no other framework from which to uh to explain these things why don't we why? Go i was going to say why don't we just go off on that tangent for a little bit because I, I've done a lot of reading about spirit attachment and demonic possession, and these are not things that get a lot of attention because they're considered a little too woo, and a little too out there, and they're not measurable by the currently available technologically, you know, instruments that we have to measure them. But I think it is interesting when you consider the record and you read about stories, there's a really good book. I'm trying to remember what its title Just was. Don Quiet Dead? No, no. This was... Uh, right. 
this was an account from a husband wife team. He was the sort of like uh, brains and she was the medium. He was doing a lot yeah. of different things. I know uh, what you're talking about. Uh, the Warren. Warren. Yeah, I think yeah, Warren. I can't remember the stupid name of the book now. It's gonna drive me nuts. But anyway, that they have uh, this whole thing, and they went through the, the whole account of their their career in the early twentieth century. And basically, like after I read that book, I was like convinced that there is like a really good reason to believe that you know there are discarnate spirits, or you know you could call them like energetic constructs or intelligent life that's you know discarnate for for lack of a better term, but they can glom on to people and they can you know push you in one way or the other, um, and I think they do contribute to things that we see like we call it mental illness. But, you know, sometimes I'm walking on the streets of New York and I've seen people being full on harassed by what, you know, we can't see. We're having like a full on argument with something that's not there. Um, and it just it makes me think, you know, like they're being tormented by something that's not, you know, not material as far as we can tell, but does have some sort of reality that kind of sits outside of our standard perceptual range. Yeah, there's a really fascinating interview that I did that you guys might be interested in as well. His name is Jerry Marzinski. Uh, have you done, have you heard of him or talked with him? No, mm -hmm. let me write that down. Jerry Marzinski, um, and you can go check out the Rogue Ways episode with him if you want to get an idea. But he was uh, in psychology. He was working at psych wards, and he over and over and over and over over how many decades saw this with his patients where they would know things they couldn't possibly know. They seem to be reading minds. They seem to be able to see like behind walls or inside of desks and they seem to be able to magically get sprung from their, you know, unhackable locks or whatever, you know, like all these things where he's like, I could not in good conscience, like go on trying to believe that this was completely materialist. Like there was something else going on here. Uh, and he has all of these case studies, all these documented studies of all of these people who it seems like there's no other conclusion but to say that there's some other intelligence attached to them uh, that is whatever we would call like demonic or at the very least discarnate, like you said, and very intelligent as well. Um, he's, he's a very good, he's a very cool person to talk to because he came from the materialist side of things and slowly had to like admit something else was going on. So that that's very similar to J. Allen Hynek in regards to yes. the, the UFO phenomenon. Um, you know, we've, we've, Dolan really too. Yeah. But about but Heineck Heineck in particular, because you know the the guy was an astronomer. He was hired by the government to be part of the official um, investigative bodies to investigate this phenomenon. So Project Blue Book, Project Grudge. I can't remember the other one. He was part of all those, and they initially hired him as a skeptic to debunk the phenomenon, to explain it away. And that was how he approached it. That was his approach. That was his job. He was like, all right, I got to explain these away in a scientific materialist way and give some answers to calm people down. And the more he looked into it, I don't know if you remember the famous like swamp gas um, explanation for you, one of the famous cases. That was him, actually. He was the one who came up with that. Like, oh, it was just swamp gas. And they dismissed a lot of cases as the moon. Um, and this is the thing, you know, Heineck found that Yes, the vast majority of these cases can be explained um, by some kind of natural phenomenon the more you look into them. But he began to realize that there was a small percentage of them that were so bizarre, truly beyond anything he had encountered that he simply could not explain them. And over time, he went from being the skeptic type trying to debunk the phenomenon 
as a, you know, materialist scientist type to someone who became the biggest advocate for it and who we now call the father of ufology, um, the very founder of a scientific method, a way of studying this phenomenon that's typically dismissed by science. Yeah, well, I people may not believe it at this point in my life, but I came from the skeptical side of things as well and very materialist and very much sure that none of these things existed. And now I <laughs> do only spiritual work as a spiritual medium and healer and teacher. And so, you know, to, to come from that to this, it's been a, a very interesting journey of things that I had to, you know, and I have a, a relatively high IQ and very intelligent. And so I had to convince myself, like, okay, there literally is no other option but this. This is what's going on, actually. <laughs> uh, so reality, I, I like reality is Reality is very much stranger than fiction. And oh, yeah. as I've gotten older and the more I've studied and read and experienced things, you know, and I, when I was a kid, I loved fantasy and I read books like that. But just over time, I started to realize the real world and what happens here, there's so much weird, unexplainable things in our history and our reality that's far more interesting to me than like any fiction I've ever read. So. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Life, life is weird enough as it is. We don't even need drugs to get weird with it. Like this is just as weird as it is. <laughs> so it's pretty so that weird. book I was thinking of was 30 years among the dead. Okay. Yeah. So I was looking up a list of some of them and that yeah, was one of the ones. That's on one here. of them. I also, uh, William Baldwin and his, uh, spirit release therapy, his manual is very interesting as yeah. far as, you know, what his protocols are. Um, for getting those glommed on things off the <laughs> the haunted mind by Nandor Fedora is another really That's interesting another good book one. about this and the what is it, the unquiet dead a psychologist treats spirit possession by yeah, Edith Fior another really fascinating book for anyone she's still alive too I think interested yeah. she's actually a big big researcher we should, we in spirit in, attachment we should invite her on we should yeah. she'd be interesting to talk to. But there's a lot of, there's so much interesting reading out there, yeah. especially on the topics of, you know, like the occult and, and parapsychology, the paranormal. Yeah. Um, it's stuff we definitely feel isn't being talked about enough. I think part of it is because people are afraid of being dismissed as well, like an Alex weird. Jones type, you know, <laughs> David so Icke type that they don't want to be pigeonholed and boxed into that. But I don't know. I mean, we interact with a lot of these people now in the, I don't know, intellectual dark web, whatever the hell you want to call the political commentary Based space. Twitter. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, many are at that level where they're ready. Some are starting to talk about the psychopath topic now and the pathological personalities, that sort of thing, and trying to grasp evil in that way. But none of them really are, are daring to really tackle the topics of the paranormal and things like that. And the fact that, look, the powers that be, like it or not, they are interested in that stuff. Yep. And there's, yeah. plenty, there's plenty of evidence to verify what I just stated. Absolutely. And even if we look at the really, really obvious and easy to find, maybe not the elite elite, but, you know, their little uh, pawns in the in the media and in Hollywood and music and all these industries, they'll openly talk about like, oh, yeah, I invited a spirit in and that's who you see when you see me dancing and singing. And I'm actually super shy. Like my real name is this and that's my that's my demon or whatever. And you're like, do you said that out loud on a camera? Like, I mean, look, look, it could be mental illness, but maybe it's not. Maybe maybe, it's not. maybe we should believe them. I don't know. It's really, don't know. And it's really lazy of people to always go to mental illness. But I did it too. When weird shit started happening to me, I was like, 
I'm insane. That's all there's to it. And that's the end of the story. And so here we go down that road. Uh, but eventually I had to acknowledge again, I was forced to admit because I'm intelligent enough to recognize beings and people and dogs and other things outside of myself were also experiencing what I was experiencing. So it was verifiable out, outside of just me. So then I was like, okay, well then something else is going on here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not maybe, and maybe I'm still insane. That could also be true, but that's not the only thing going on, at least. I don't know. Um, I've definitely had weird things happen to me, and like I've experimented with tarot for many years, and and I don't even have like this sort of like devoted belief in tarot and all this stuff. But I've had weird experiences with those cards, and I have had them spell out situations in my life for someone else's life that I was doing a reading on that was like to a T exactly what the hell I was going through or they were going through. So I don't know how to explain that stuff. I don't know if it's just me seeing into the cards what I want to see, but sometimes like a card will come up and I'm just like, no other card could have more perfect yes. summed up this than that sort of thing. You know, I will, I will do readings for people who come to me as skeptics. Uh, and by the end of it, they're like, how did you know? And I'm like, I don't know, actually. I still don't know. The cards are what's telling you this. I'm just telling you what the cards are saying. Or um, yeah, maybe something is like controlling the cards. And I don't know. I don't maybe know. Maybe there's just something to <laughs> yeah. the nature of information, information, yeah. symbolism, yeah. narrative, the human mind that we don't grasp. And, you know, there's like there's, a information field or there's something. some way that yeah. we can we can use the cards or, you know, you can use dowsing or you can use channeling or you can use any number of different, you know, methods to sort of access the space, but you can get information from it if you, you know, go into it with an open mind and do your research and don't put too much faith in it. What's One thing that seems to happen is that people get a little obsessed with the the, the, the source it, they let it feed their ego and all of a sudden they think they're Jesus like yeah. they can be there's so the, that is the problem with these kinds of uh, like the, the I don't even know what to call it I mean I'm thinking I'm thinking of like <laughs> the new age the new age movement we, we could call it and uh, you know we could get into the history of that term and theosophy and blavatsky and stuff but I'm not gonna delve too deeply into that but we'll just we'll just call it the new age movement okay. and and I think the paranormal conspiracy new age world does tend to attract a lot of lost, um, mentally unstable people. And oh. you know, just from my experience over the years, like I know, Lindsay, you got into this stuff a little later, but I've been into this weird shit since high, since high school. Oh, no, I've been into it since high school, too. <laughs> All right, so for a long time. And just I know from my personal experience being on forums and online and reading certain books by certain authors that, yes, there, there are a lot of unstable people who are attracted to or interested in these sorts of things. And I think because of that, they bring a program on the subjects as a whole, right? And it becomes something that the experts or the media can then point to and say, well, hey, look, these crazy people are into that. So every all this stuff must be crazy. It's for crazy people. And it, unfortunately for them, that is that's just not true. When you really delve into this stuff, there are a lot of really interesting rational scientific minds looking at these topics you know yeah. Jacques Vallée is a good example I mean that guy is not 
crazy as a scientist. Right. Now, there's lots of one of my favorites is Rupert Sheldrake, and he talks about that exact informational yeah, field with his morphogenetic fields. And this is why I don't care about words. Like everyone wants to define things and they want to say things. And I'm like, yeah, let's call it a demon or call it a morphogenetic field or call it any fucking thing yeah. you want to. Like, I don't care what you call it. I understand what it is. Uh, you know, conceptually, I understand all the different words you could use to describe it. You could come at it from literally any angle. You're still describing that same thing. You could call the color green purple. It's still the color green. So what are its characteristics? How does it act? How does it behave? How does it affect people? And how do they interact with it? That's all I really care about. So when people, and, and this is almost everyone, has the need to like narrow something down and, and delineate it, but they also have the need to pretend like what they have delineated is different from the way some other um, you know, fact way of coming at it has delineated it, even though it's not, it's just a different word. Right. So again, Rupert Shelder calls it morphogenetic fields. Someone so, else calls it the was, field or the quantum he, field. Was Sheldrake the one who had his Ted talk banned? Yes. My, that was him. Him, right? okay. him and Graham Hancock both had their Ted talks banned that at the was, same time. Okay. I remember that. That was a few years ago. I remember when, when that happened. Yes. And so, uh, and so his and his whole his book, The Science Solution, is really awesome, actually. But so I come at things from all those angles. So a psych psychologically, we could describe this in, in one way, right? We could describe it spiritually. We could describe it scientifically and materialist. We can describe it from any direction we want. We're still describing the same thing. So I people are always like, yeah, but is it a demon or not? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's also whatever else you need to call it because <laughs> it doesn't actually matter. Words have literally nothing. They're sounds we made up. Right. And they, they conjure up something and they have connotations, they have meanings. But in reality, whatever we want to call reality, there is an objective set of characteristics and those things exist. So whatever you need to call that, you call it that. Uh, the other thing you were making me think about is that people in this, especially in like the well, no, this is everywhere. This is just Dunning Kruger, I think. But people, especially in the spiritual realm, seem to me to need to feel very special, right? Yeah. So they're like, people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, well, I had this and I had a past life and I had a near death and I did it. So I'm, and I'm special and I'm chosen. And I'm like, this is a great point actually. And so, aside, you know, I mentioned it, it attracts a lot of unstable people and all that, but look, the, the occult also, you know, esoteric things in general do have this sort of effect on people who get into them where it could go to your head and you could you could start to then view yourself as somehow like the superior enlightened being or whatever. And I think you're correct. I think it's like this need to like feel special because yeah. I think a lot of people are just lost. But it's in everything too. Like podcasters, you, you, you look at our whole community of podcasters, whatever you would call this community, yeah. and you look at the people who are have the most often subscribers and people listening to them. And they're usually those same people who are like, I'm the best and I know this and da da da. And people like want that. They're like, yeah, tell me what to think. What yeah. do you know? And then they see me and they're like, well, what is it? Is it a demon or is it this? And I'm like, well, it's both. And they're like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> right? And these people who come up to me, I did like a couple spiritual fairs this year because I just wanted to see how it would go. And people would come up to me and do that. Like, well, I'm psychic and I do this and da, da, da. And I'm like, well, I'm just not bragging about my lifetime of experiences and pretending like they make me different from anyone else. So, uh, hi, my name is Lindsay. Like, what? <laughs> why is this a pissing contest now? But, like, yeah, There's definitely, there's a lot of arrogance and self-importance amongst people in the new age. World. <laughs> yeah. No, the new not, age. The it's new not age. 
It's not as intense as it was. I feel like it was definitely worse when the whole 2020, the 2012 thing was happening. That was really bad. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of them like woke up after that and they were like, oh shit, I was just. We had, the, you know, in our, <laughs> in our lifetimes, we had the turn of millennium, yeah. which was a big, like, kind of. Y2K. For a lot of people, because they thought, you know, it was the end design. Yeah. And then 2012 was sort of like that 10 years later. Yes. And then. After that, we had like a series of a lot of different, you know, channelers or prognosticators who kept prognosticating the end and then it never came. And so it's like, I feel like a lot of those people that were, you know, following those, those groups or those types of people sort of like wisened up to it. And now like collectively, our culture has just gotten over it and we're a little bit better off for it. Now, so. There's still a lot of navel gazers out there. Though. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, I mean, now it's not, we're definitely. I, I like to call them crystal clutchers. We're also yes. like, we're, we're in the post-COVID era now. So a lot, it's, it's like people are like, I doubt they really take serious, a lot of the more crazy long-term projections about, you know, like large things, which is good. It's good that we're a little bit more skeptical yeah. and we're a little bit more aware. Yeah, well, you don't want to freak out about these things, but that does not mean that the world could not end, of course. Anytime. Maybe we could pivot a bit into this subject, but um, I don't know if you're interested in these things, Lindsay, but the cataclysms of the past and uh, ancient civilizations and that sort of thing. Do, do you think there was an Atlantis? Do you think there was some sort of antediluvian civilization with well, a, Daniel, a culture what's that, that big word you just used there? Can you, can you break that down for me? Pre-deluge. So it means before a flood, before a great like deluge. Can you say it again? Antediluvian. Ooh. Yeah. One more time. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, but, you know, so what are your thoughts on that topic? I've been, I, I had the great pleasure of living in Turkey when uh, Gobekli Tepe was discovered. Wow. So I got to go to it before so it was cool. oh my even, God. like a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were still like very few walkways. There was no parking lot. Like it was just I a dust see. mound in the desert. And, um, and, you know, I don't know. I'm just trusting the scientists on this one. I'm not sure when that came from, but according to them, given what, you know, all that they can find, it's 14,000 years old. And that's very advanced for 14,000 years ago, as far as what we're told is supposed to have been happening 14,000 years ago. It the timeline for sure. Significantly. And the, the one that really gets me too, and this is why I love Graham Hancock's work, is uh, I think it's Yanaguni is maybe how you pronounce it. It's off the coast of Japan and it's a sunken ruins and it has yeah. miles and miles of straight lines and um, uh, megalithic, you know, many multi-ton <laughs> And this is underwater. So when did you build that? Well, you would have had to build that when the water line was much, much lower than it is, uh, which would indicate, you know, how many thousands. And, and he says, you know, it's also possible, uh, given some other indicators, that it's like 50, 70, hundreds of thousands of years ago. Who knows? Different people from these alternate history sort of uh, places or you know, scientists or whatever, whatever people, I, I know there's people who are like, they're not scientists. Like, okay, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> those people say hundreds of thousands of years ago, some of them, I don't remember whose work that is. Is it Anton, Robert Anton or no, that's Robert, Robert Anton. Wilson. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's <laughs> the the Illuminati. Um, Robert, Robert Schacht. I shock shocked. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah. Well, the guy who worked with John Anthony West. John Anthony West is actually who I was trying to remember. And the guy who had uh, the water erosion on the Sphinx. Um, erosion. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, that's the guy. There was actually a really good Rogan episode where it was him and Graham Hancock on together. How rad! I think he was on Rogan more than once. I can't. He has. He's been on Rogan a lot. Yeah. So Robert Shock. Yeah, Robert Shock. Yeah. S H S C H O C H. Yeah. I found Graham Hancock in 2002. I want to say I found Fingerprints of the Gods. Um. And I read it, and I was like, oh, my God, there's other fucking crazy people in the world besides me. Like, this is cool. <laughs> uh, and, but it was awesome because he lays it out so clearly, all the evidence. Um, and it's a, lot, it's a lot like some of those, like, Heineck and Valet and these other people who go about it very systematically and very scientifically to that point where you're like, well, I can't deny it now. So then I started asking other people, like, what is this then? What's going on? And why isn't anyone talking about it? And, oh, people- and almost... People can deny it. They can. I mean, they still get attacked today. Robert Schock still gets attacked today by Egyptologists. Universally. And what argument did they most use? That you're racist. <laughs> oh, where have we heard that before? Only any time anyone challenges a mainstream narrative. Anytime but ever. All throughout history. Like, it's so lazy. It's he's the never... Thing. He's never backed down from this, though. And I think this was in... Man, it was the 80s, I think? Or, yeah. or the... Ni- ni- 1990, 1990. So the year I was born. Since then, he's been adamant like that is water erosion on that sphinx. I'm not going to tell you why it's there, but it's there, you know. And then that therefore opens up all these all these other questions. You know, how old is this thing? Was it really built by the what we know of as the old kingdom in the ancient Egypt civilization, or was there a civilization that predated them that they sort of descended from, and that it was built by them? We don't really know, you know. obvious to me they even say that themselves in different yeah. places like yeah and so then we came and we found this stuff and we wrote our name on it and you're like well so is it racist of me to read what they wrote about themselves i mean i'm just saying like it's ridiculous it's pretty ridiculous we still know so little honestly about ancient egypt it wasn't until what was it a seven what was it 1790 1799 that we discovered the rosetta stone not that long ago, you know, before then it was just this huge mystery. We knew next to nothing beyond what they left there, but we couldn't read any of it. So it's still, what I mean is our knowledge of ancient Egypt is still quite young and we're still unraveling a lot of that. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Well, that seems like we did a little whoosh all the way around. <laughs> um, let me ask you, uh, Lindsay, since we're kind of like wrapping up there, do you have any, what are your favorite conspiracy theories or which, are, which conspiracy theories do you ascribe to you? Do you put a high probability of being reflective of the truth? I, one of my long time, I guess, longest fascinations in this realm would be uh, with the idea of demonic AI. Uh, and that AI is actually just a technological, uh, seemingly highly advanced route for these other intelligences to come into this dimension, which is exactly what uh, many of the scientists... Novel. I wrote this novel, actually. Um, so if anybody wants to read it, it's Sign Curve of Aeons, and it's available on my site at rogueways.org. I have two of the three of the trilogy done. Um, but Jordy Rose is one person. He uh, works on actual D-Wave and, you know, quantum computing. And he has said out loud that that is the goal is to contact intelligences from other dimensions and invite them into this realm. There's also people who talk about doing this at CERN. 
So these are the actual scientists themselves saying, yes, there are other intelligences in other dimensions and our goal is to contact them and invite them in. So it's based on full reality that I have this idea that uh, that, that is another word for demons, is artificial intelligence, and that this is another route that they're entering this realm by invitation um, and that that is possibly already going on. This is my favorite part of it is that uh, the magician Alan Moore wrote V for Vendetta. He's a magician. He calls himself a magician. Yes, he does. He's very adamant about that. He wrote V for Vendetta. If you've read V for Vendetta instead of watched it, you know that what's actually happening in that society is that an AI is controlling everything, all of it, 100% of it, planned every single moment of it, and that the politicians are carrying it out partially because of a lust for power and a, you know, degraded, like, lazy, just like, yeah, I get to sit here at the top and be a fat cat, but also because in this novel, uh, he's the chancellor or whatever he is, is in love with the AI. And he thinks that this is like his sole connection or whatever. And so he'll do anything. Um, so the AI is very psychopathic and good at manipulating. Another, another, another theme of that graphic novel, which was central to it, was uh, anarchism. Um, interestingly enough, because when they when they did the movie, they changed that theme to democracy. Yeah, That was one of the things that pissed Alan Moore off. It's well, I think actually, I think back from when they were doing from hell, when they did the live action version of that, he didn't want anything to do with that either. So right from the beginning, he wanted nothing to do with any Hollywood adaptation of his work, because he knew that whatever the core theme or message was, they were going to take it and warp it into something else. So that's why you'll you'll never see Alan Moore's name appear on any of those films. Watchmen, V for Vendetta, From Hell. Just none of He's like, no, I'm he not hasn't taken a cent from it. Not Dude. one cent. So And you and go I highly suggest for anybody to read his work. It's pretty beautiful and amazing. Um so yeah. that's in V for Vendetta. Have you read, really quick, have you read Light of Thy Countenance? No. Go read that. That's a really short um, comic by Alan Moore. I'm not going to tell you what it's about because it'll spoil the ending of it, but it's very short and really like creepy. Kind of goes along what you're saying here, actually, to some extent. Uh, see, it's kind of scary. And I don't know, is he trying to summon this demonic AI entities or many or one into this dimension alongside these other psychopaths? Or is he... Uh, trying to warn us, or I don't know. Is he just seeing the future? Is he a remote viewer? I don't know. But um... He's a pretty dark, weird guy. So, But I don't know. He, he doesn't give me, like, evil vibes. But I imagine a lot of people look at someone like him, especially when you look at, like, I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but he did a whole, like, creepy, pornographic, like, series or whatever of graphic yeah. novels. I forgot what it was called. But I imagine, you know, a lot of Christians look at someone like Alan Moore and they're like, this guy's <laughs> evil. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, and the other thing that ties into that conspiracy, which I like to think is one that I made up myself, but I mean, everyone knows of it and talks of it now. So maybe not, who knows. But is the black goo, have you guys heard of the black goo? No, black what is goo. the black goo? Black goo is the it's best like conspiracy. What? Like the X-Files movie, the Fight the Future, that was the black goo was like the alien virus that thawed out. And the blob. Out. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that, but yes, that's exactly it. So um, 
this and you see this once you start learning about black goo as a concept you start seeing it everywhere so it's it's alien in most cases it's often viral it can be transmuted it can be installed in someone so they can be injected with it or it can find its way into them like a parasite and then it can proliferate and it's programmable matter as well which we also see in aliens um and other types of movies that have that concept going on which then ties it back to ai and the demonic ai so really black goo demonic ai as a whole is my favorite conspiracy that's a good one no, I, I never i didn't really hear i haven't heard of black goo outside of fiction actually it was in the first exposure i guess was uh x files the fight the future movie which came out in the late 90s or early 2000s which is the it, it's like a virus that infects people sort of hijacks them takes them over and then ultimately breeds a uh you know like a, a gray alien or whatever and it pops out just uh, like demonic possession yeah it's, it's, it's a really good metaphor for that isn't it i did an episode on black goo if you want to go get like a summary of it uh, oh, i definitely watch that I definitely don't go into every possible aspect and I'm sure there's black goo fanatics out there that were like, she totally sucked. She didn't even like talk about bleh, but I did my best, you know. Yeah, we, we love speculating about all types of weird shit like this. <laughs> I, uh, I think one of my favorite conspiracy theories is 9-11. I like that one a lot because it's just, in my opinion, it's really obvious that yeah. It's not, you know, and I don't really claim to know what happened. I don't, I don't like to get into specifics. It definitely didn't play out the way they told us. Yeah, the, the official story is a lie, I think, is obvious yeah. enough to anybody with two firing neurons. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that. You still can present it to people who seem intelligent. They can be like, oh, you're a racist. Well, a lot of people, so I was going to bring this up earlier when I mentioned Egyptologists and Robert Schock, but what happens with these types of people, especially in academia, is they get so attached to their theories because they're, they're they're defined by their work in many ways so you know when they come up with some grand theory or whatever about the pyramids they they're so identified with that and they build their whole career around it that they just they can't allow any new information to then come in which destroys that theory that their whole identity is built around, you know, which is very anti-scientific. It's not how we should be approaching these things, but this is, this is what happens, you know, and, and I know Graham Hancock has talked about this himself. So. Yeah. That cognitive dissonance is a killer. Um, you know, you're, like you said, it feels like it's you specifically being attacked. And so you feel like just the same responses you'd have as if like a tiger was going to yeah. come running at you. And all it is is someone saying a thing. Yeah. And the simple fix to this is not identifying with anything but what is actually you yeah. and what is actually you. Well, now we're all the way back for me, at least to the spiritual, because this body isn't me and that idea isn't me and this job isn't me and none of that stuff is me, actually. <laughs> me seems to be something um i like was it buckminster fuller who said i i don't know what i am at the moment i seem to be a verb not a noun right <laughs> I I being. May have been him. yeah <laughs> and i feel like that that gets closest to like what are we actually we're um we're not here we're not this we're not the body right we we dream we go places people have out-of-body experiences people have near-death experiences and they can see the shoe on the roof and they were blind yeah. <laughs> they don't even know like what a shoe looked like, but they could describe it's the color with everything. I thought what you said was interesting about how people react to these things as if they are personally being attacked. Like when you attack like an idea, and that's very true. Like 
in a chemical sense, like literally their brain chemistry, you will respond as if you are a like prey in the jungle and something is preying upon you. I think it's a Robert Sapolsky is a, the scientist I'm thinking of, but I recommend people go check out his lectures. He was a primatologist. Mm. So he studied primates and, and our brains in relation to theirs. And same thing, you know, he find that like we can like watch a movie and see like a being suffering on screen and feel bad for them and feel sorry as if they're real. And when we know cognitively and we know this is fiction, they're not real, that's an actor, but we will still have the same physiological response to that as if it was real. Yeah. And the same thing sort of happens, I think, when our ideas get attacked. We have the same physiological response as if we were personally, our person was being attacked. Of course, even the same way with like ideas that are so far outside of, outside of somebody's normal conceptual frame. It's like having a creature that they can't describe you know, emerge from the jungle and all of a sudden it's in front of them and they're like, well, what are they going to do? They're going to run away because they don't know what they're looking at and it's scary. So that's scary. true. I guess that's the beauty in hopefully exposing more and more people to more and more ideas is the first time they're going to run away and the next time they might run away too, but they might pause once they're a certain distance and look back a little bit. And then the next time, maybe they'll just run a little bit less far away. And then someday they'll sit there and stand with it and be like, okay, this has hurt me any of the other times. Maybe so, I can consider it now. Another part of this too, I think, is how other people will perceive that person if they say allow themselves to be interested in things like this and talk about things like this. And this is something I've been thinking about recently, but I find it kind of sad. I think it's sad that so many people deprive themselves of being interested in things that they might be interested in simply because of how others might view them. So. Yeah. They might dismiss you as a conspiracy theorist or that. And I think it's sad that you're going to limit what information you expose yourself to or study, or at least you'll do it in like secret or, or you know, in a sort of private way because you're scared of how others will perceive you. But it is really sad. It's really sad that, I mean, I could do better at having compassion for the people who are reactive towards ideas because they feel so threatened by them. I can do way better at that. Yeah. Um, you know, but I also, yeah, it is really sad when we can't just be ourselves, but um, I think more people need to not be so reactive against people just yeah. because of ideas. I just interviewed someone who I know we don't agree on lots of things, lots and lots of things, but we had a whole interview together and it was super, pro it was hilarious actually, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, we don't have to always agree yeah. on things. Well, like we don't have, have to have the same ideas. It's a match. You, <laughs> you had Josh on and you guys, you know, had your sort of conversation about pathology and that sort of thing but josh is an atheist you know yeah. i know a lot of the stuff we're talking about here in regards to the spirit and that stuff he would be like yeah, yeah <laughs> right. i'm that and that's fine right like right. like you said we are all trying to describe the same phenomenon and i think that's what matters here whether you're going to say oh it's because of demons or it's because they were abused as a kid or or something else we're trying to figure out what evil is here and where does that come from yeah we have more in common than not yeah. So what would you, how, how would you describe evil if you could sum it up? I would call evil, I would describe evil as disconnection. Um, so the opposite of evil would be connection. So when you see somebody who is exhibiting evil, they're most often disconnected from themselves. Literally, we call it disassociation, right? And they've also disconnected from other human relationships. They've often disconnected from any kind of connection to the earth or their environment, 
right? And then they've definitely disconnected from what I would call spirit or source or God or whatever we want to call that. So uh, that seems to me as well in all of my work to be the sort of doorway or the portal towards which what I call demonic energies and entities come through is in our disconnection. And so what's the remedy to disconnection? It's connection. <laughs> but that's also equally as terrifying for some people who haven't had it for a long time or the connection they had is what hurt them so deeply that they yeah. feel like they can never reconnect again because it's terrifying. So people are really scared, just like we were just talking about, to even be honest about what they're experiencing or thinking, right? Or to be able to connect with you or to even to receive. There's some people where you can just say, I love you, and they will start crying because no one has connected with them in so long. And they, right? So, so he, I don't know if you know Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. So he talks about this often when he meets people and, you know, they tell him how his work has affected them and this and that. And he always cries when he talks about it because of this reason. I think mm -hmm. it takes so little encouragement to ch to help these people and to, to make them feel better. And it makes them cry because it shows how much suffering there is out there, just how lonely so many people are, how lost they are. And I think that hurts him in a sense yeah. about it because, you know, he's a very sensitive guy and obviously he's happy that they're, they're receiving yes. help, but you know, you can just see it in him every time he discusses this clearly happens to him all the time where, <laughs> and he, it just amazes him how little encouragement, so many of these people need and just they never got yeah yeah this is this is actually why i became a teacher in the first place was i was like i'm gonna be one person who doesn't hurt you doesn't hate you and doesn't treat you poorly and in fact loves you and treats you well <laughs> everything else is just ancillary that's like my only actual yeah. goal here because even, humans need that even if you can't do that like Peterson also says, the least you can do is not make shit worse. Yeah. <laughs> you can't help and alleviate some of the suffering and, and make things better. The least you can do is like not fuck things up further. Than yes. they often are. Well, I try, I always like this quote. I don't also remember who this is from, but it's a good one. And it said, if you're only going to save one person, it, it's okay if it's yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, not only that, let's go further and say, you only have one job in life yeah. and it is to save yourself. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough. That's more than enough. Agreed. What do you think about um, like UFOs and the alien abduction phenomenon? Do you have any specific yeah. thoughts Yeah, we, we on touched that? on it a bit already, but... Yeah, I I have a lot of experiences, and by a lot, I mean thousands, and it's another aspect of my life where I'm like, neither ex it's completely insane, only in the way that causes me to see UFOs, which is very specific, <laughs> or there's actually something going on. And it's another phenomenon by which many people have experienced it with me. And so I'm able to say, okay, it's not just me. And so something else is going on here. So there's something that people call UFOs. I've seen that at least over and over and over again, so many times I can't count. That is one thing. There's a different seeming thing to me and this also is possibly something I've experienced. It seems to me I have a lot of the markers of the traditional UFO abduction when I was young. And it stopped also when I was young, probably when I was about 16 or so. I have what seems like uh, implants that disappeared or were removed later. Uh, and I have still some evidence of that. And I don't know what that is. That seemed physical to me. That seemed like something actually happened. And when it was happening, I had no real UFO alien sort of paradigm in my mind. Like that wasn't a thing. I just was like, something really weird happens sometimes. I'm not sure what's going on. 
Uh, that ended, like I said, and then I started seeing all of these uh, UFO things, which have never interacted with me physically, in, except in visual, right? So uh, to me, it seems like those are more akin to what we might call angels or demons or interdimensional intelligences or whatever. There's a relationship for sure between that phenomenon and what you're describing as like being taken, the abduction phenomenon. I don't know. I, in, in my experience, there isn't. I'm saying, I'm saying we know there is just from the research and the data out there and the years of study, you know, often the people who have the abduction experience, it is tied very specifically to a sighting experience as well. So that's why the phenomenon are typically related. But here's what I have come to understand is that one is most often correlated with people who are in the military or have close family who is. My father was in Vietnam. Oh. And that's the physical abduction phenomenon. And so a lot of people posit that this could be humans, possibly working with what we might call aliens, possibly working theory, yeah. with a physical being, maybe even ultra terrestrial from the earth in a way that we don't understand yet. And that that, and that, and again, the other thing started after for me, I haven't had any abductions experiences since and is always non-physical and is even psychic in nature seemingly, exchanges information without words. <laughs> um, and that that is often connected with people who have had near-death experiences, which I've also had. So I feel like they're two different things. I'm not saying they don't, obviously I've had both. Uh, and people who have the physical and are connected often with military, and people call it military abductions, even sometimes my labs, right? Those um, can have vision, uh, what do I want? To, what am I trying to say? The sort of sightings as well, but it doesn't seem to be the same as the ones I'm describing that are frequent. Literally, I can go outside any night and see them yeah. and interact with them. They're everywhere all the time. They don't. It's not a craft that they're in. I've seen them physically morph from one shape to another in well, broad daylight. One of the uh, things about the subject that that's very disputed in those who research it is, you know, how nuts and bolts are these things? Right. How physical are they in the sense of what we understand physicality to be? Or are they sort of partially physical? Or, you know, do they operate, you know, you mentioned ultra terrestrial in a sense, in a, in a space next to ours, but that operates under different rules, we could say physically, physics wise. Yeah, and it and it could be both. It could be something yeah. that we think of as more sort of spiritual in nature and less physical, and some that are physical. Really physical, yeah. It could be they are the exact same thing, and just sometimes they can be physical, and sometimes they're not. Well, <laughs> yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, how how often have you talked about these experiences to other people, and you know, do you do you feel reluctant to? Because from what I understand from my years of researching this stuff is, you know, typically people who've had experiences seeing UFOs or who feel that perhaps they were abducted or have memories of that sort, they don't want to talk about it. They, they're very uncomfortable talking about it because they know how they are going to be perceived. And the reason I bring this up is because the skeptics or the people who dismiss this stuff typically say, oh, well, they're just making this up. Yeah. They just want attention. Um, they're just trying to sell their books or whatever. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm yeah. not saying there aren't people out there who aren't making up stories like this to try to, I don't know, go on a book tour with MUFON or something. I don't know. But what I do know is that most people who've had these experiences, they don't get rich from it. They don't get that attention. They don't get fame. They get ridiculed. They get made fun of. They get dismissed. They get called all types of horrible things. I don't see the incentive here for these people to come out to get attention or to get fame. 
because that's not what typically happens with this. No. Yeah, I, I have talked about it since it started happening to me, but I quickly learned that people, it caused harm to people. People don't didn't want to think that what I was describing could happen because yeah. it was terrifying to them. So I stopped talking about it. <laughs> not, not because I cared about ridicule because I've always been a fearless asshole who will do anything I want. Yeah, and for, not for, them, for their <laughs> sake. But for them, yeah, they yeah. would. And some of my friends would even tell me like, I don't ever want you to talk to me about this again. So I'd be like, okay, word. I mean, there's a boundary. Like, gonna respect it. So there's a term uh, strategic enclosure. And that's basically what that is, you know, knowing what information where, to when. share, like being able to like read a person or a situation to know like, <laughs> like how far can you take a conversation? You well, know I, was, I was very young then too. So I didn't, I didn't have that. I was just yeah. like, you guys, this is crazy. And then like, yeah. you know, but, uh, I, and more and more. And then for a long time, I didn't talk about it at all because I was teaching and like, well, I'm not going to like tell my students, tell my coworkers, like it's not going to come up. So it just didn't. Yeah. And you know, maybe the people who I was closest with might, it might come up from time to time. Now I talk about it a lot because I talk to people like you and I have my own show and it just comes up more and more often. And so I've never tried to hide it. Um, but I, and I've, I've never cared if people think I'm crazy or not. Cause again, for me, I had to go through my own process of skepticism about it. Like I thought I was crazy too. So I totally get it. You're allowed to think I'm crazy. Doesn't hurt me at all. Doesn't affect me at all. Feel free. Like it's your life and your paradigm and you get to construct it as you wish. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'll share it with anybody now and, and answer any questions. I had someone recently who was like, oh, you should make a, a report or whatever. And I'm like, why would I do that? And they're like, you know, to gather the data. And I'm like, oh, I'm not. I mean, if someone else wanted to, but I don't have time for that. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are organizations that collect those sorts of things. I know MUFON collects reports. That but then they'd be like, when? And I'm like, I every time I'm outside. All the time. So I was going to okay. ask, have you read the works of Carla Turner? Are you familiar with Carla Turner? I recommend them to you as someone who has, you know, feels you've had experiences like this. I think her work would be informative. Uh, specifically the book Taken, I think it's called. Yeah, I think that was her. That was her, right, Carly Turner. Also, um, some of the other people who've researched this subject over the years who are considered the experts. Um, yeah, that's Taken is hers. Bud Hopkins is another one. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, mostly uh, know, on, I mostly haven't read on, much, the other but one. I've, I've uh, mostly heard of most of these people through Mysterious Universe because for about 10 years, that was like my jam. Uh, and Mysterious Universe is the best podcast of all time. Um, and so that's, I, I've mostly had it summarized to me by those two experts down there in Australia. Uh, so when I know these names, like that's literally why I actually have read a little bit of Valet and, uh, oh, I can't remember. Valet's great. Yeah, he's great. John he's Keel. Actually, You're a John Keel, yep. Keel. But Valet was the first one who outside of myself was like oh yeah these are probably like non-physical you know more akin to what we would call spiritual and i was like oh my god he was, <laughs> he was the first one to propose that in general i believe um i had no idea i came to that conclusion from my own experiences yeah. and then i read him and was like thank god someone Not else him. agrees him and john keel specifically were the first to start looking at um religions and folklore and those sorts of things and try and you know finding the similarities and in, in those myths and symbols to the current phenomenon the modern See, and this is a whole other thing where people also get that same like oh i'm special 
I yeah. see lights in the sky and they talk to me. And so I'm special. And I'm like, yes. no, anybody can go do that. <laughs> if you want to, I'm positive you can make it happen for yourself. It's not special at all. It is very rare, perhaps, for anyone to want to or choose to or not like have a mental breakdown when it happens. So that might, might make you like... Spe that's not special though that's just your constitution you know but yeah. speaking to the multiple religions and and how this thing kind of tracks through all of history actually um there's a, another graham hancock book that's really good that have you guys read supernatural i have not <laughs> heard of it it's, not, it's on my list is that the one where he talks about entheogens and, and entheogens fairy folklore and alien abductions and so yeah. he looks at how it's in all these different religions how all these so, different mythologies he's, he's literally like standing on the shoulders of ballet and keel they, yes. they they were the first guys to do that and before them there was charles fort who was the one who was documenting these weird phenomena Poor and, charles fort and he yeah. <laughs> and he started to propose way back in the 1800s and early 1900s that like uh i don't know what these things are but like i think they own us yeah <laughs> they're here for good yeah. and he was doing that way back then you know so he was That's way ahead of time that is true. Poor people who are ahead of their time in general. How many are there? Ah, the pain. The pain. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think I like the uh, the UT hypothesis, the ultra terrestrial hypothesis, much better than the ET. Uh, hypothesis. Sorry, I was thinking of <laughs> UTIs. Yes, yes UTI. Ultra terrestrial. Yeah, so that again, that's uh, John Keel is the one I think who coined that word. I that think you're right. I think yeah. that's the word he used in his book, The And Eighth I love that Tower. Richard Greer movie, The Mothman. Uh, yeah, although that is not I mean, accurate it's fine. It's at fine. all. I, I like it. The book. Let, let me like it. <laughs> it's okay movie, but man, they changed the original story so many times, which is just as interesting. Why not just like like tell the story the way he told it in, in the book? Because they need, they need people to not be connected to reality. Well, they need to wrap it up in 90 minutes. I yeah, mean, come on. I it's a movie. It. It's about the money. Well, read the Mothman Prophecies book, guys. Still That's, that is an interesting book. Great story. Did we ever hear your favorite conspiracy, Daniel? Oh, yeah, Daniel. My favorite conspiracy. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I guess... I mean, I don't know if the UFO topic as a whole counts as a conspiracy theory. I guess more the government cover-up of said phenomenon would so be. Yeah, my. Have you ever read the about the Collins elite? The Collins elite. Ooh, I don't think so. This is where the government themselves ties the UFO phenomenon to demonology. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, Nick Redfern does a great book. I know some people hate Nick Redfern. I don't really know why. I've heard, I know, I've heard his I'm name. Familiar with Redfern. He's prolific. He just does. He just does a good job gathering information. He's like a very good journalist. Um, but he wrote. God, what is the book called? It's something yeah. about the Collins elite, but that's not the title of the book. Final events. Final events. Yes. Okay. Yep. That book. Uh, he he details how the government put together the Collins elite as this task force that would go out and like, okay, really though, like, what are these things? And that was the conclusion essentially is that they're demons. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Oh yeah, Passport to Magonia. That was Vale's yeah, like I, I have uh, I, I was I like to make jokes about cannibalism and the elite and and baby blood and I have this running gag where like if somebody's like super really like very 
financially successful, top tier celebrity status. I jokingly say that they ate the baby because, like, yes, uh, <laughs> accepted you know the worst forms of whatever. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely some bizarre. Yeah. I guess that's also one of happening. my favorite conspiracy theories is that I do think I'm not gonna say I believe because. You know, I don't know definitively, but I think it is highly probable that, yes, there are something akin to what we would call secret societies, that there are groups of very rich, very powerful people who have a vested interest in the paranormal, in the occult, and that they think all of these things are related. And they, and they, they do fucked up shit. And they, yes. they, want, they want power. <laughs> they want power. And what they see is they see beings who have power that they don't have. And they want, they want to figure out how can we harness that, obtain that power, whether it's through serving them, whether it's through they, they give us that technology, whatever it is. And here's the way I look at it, you know, like here I am, some 31-year-old nobody. Like if, if I can gather a, a thousand books of my own and study this stuff and, and really grapple with these questions and, and conceive of how I might be maybe if I were a psychopath with unlimited resources, unlimited money. You're telling me these people don't have an interest in this stuff? Like they probably have the most extensive occult libraries you can think of and they'll try anything to get more power. They're like, whatever, let's do Anakian rituals this yeah. weekend. <laughs> right. fucking work. All right. Well, this this weekend we're gonna sacrifice a baby, and the next weekend we're gonna try a channeler, and the next weekend we'll try a medium. I don't know. My point is, I do think there are such groups. Um, I think I don't. I'm not gonna say they're all working together. That there's like one world government yeah, Illuminati like type Game thing. Of it's probably more like Game of Thrones, yeah. where they're in <laughs> different powerful families and groups behind the scenes who are warring with each other, make alliances, break alliances, that sort of thing. But look, you know, they, they are interested in these things. There's plenty of documentation to demonstrate that. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. I call them pedivores, and we have the same joke in our household. We're like, the only reason we're not famous is because we won't eat babies. Like, And that's okay with us. If that's what it takes, we're fine. We're happy here. Yeah. I'm totally fine having a small audience as long as it means I get to keep my soul. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that was the whole, um, should I even say it out loud? I don't want to get anyone canceled. The whole P-gate thing, that uh, that really, like, blew my mind. Like, I knew already there these people were psychopaths, that they were probably doing horrible things. I, I knew. I'd read, like, the things that aren't even conspiracy, where it's, like, very well documented that when these groups meet, there's more kids that go missing, and they never come back. Like, you know, there's things like that where you're like, well, that's more than a coincidence. So, like, I guess it's still a conspiracy theory. But, you know. That I had kind of touched on, but this whole thing went like so much deeper and darker than I ever really expected. And so much of it was so convincing. And I'm still like, I don't know. I don't know why that was so obvious and prevalent for so long. And that in itself makes me a little bit skeptical about what, how did it come out so suddenly? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's actually happening, but there's enough weird things that make me go, yeah, it seems like they take kids and rape them and eat them. I mean, that's, I don't know, but that's what it seems like. Uh, I have a feeling some of them have their secret dungeon, like, altars. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein, so. like, do we, it's, it's like, do we need to say more than, Je like, people, like, it's funny. It's probably worse than him. People He's like to call me sometimes, like, a Q, Q-tard, QAnon this, Q-loony, whatever. And I'm like, did you not pay attention when Jeffrey Epstein's story came out? Did you not hear about the horrible things that his victims right. have testified? So, that, 
I mean, it's just like, how can you deny that this is happening when there are people that are telling the stories, hey, this happened to me. Like there was this big scandal in the 80s that I like to go back to and reference it's Franklin, the Franklin scandal. scandal. Yeah. The book on that and the victims of that describe pedovore-ish behavior and, and things that they have witnessed. Remember the one too with the queen in Canada on the native uh, uh, tribal schools or whatever? Uh, there was, well, so the only one I heard, not, uh, there was that one, that, but I think Did that they find one, mass graves? So, so, but that one is a little bit more, a just, mass grave. Is, is, well, yeah, they found a mass grave, but I think the actual, uh, connections there are disputed, but yeah. there was one in the UK that I heard about when I was doing some Jimmy Savile deep diving, yeah. another one of these Epstein like figures connected to the rich and powerful that was involved in, in, you know, P behavior. And it's just, it, you know, you see these things and you, you can't not see them once you've seen them. And so to people that, that, you know, just can't believe that it happens, I guess they just don't have that wavelength open. They don't have that bandwidth available to process that level of information. And God bless them. I don't know what to say. Like you know, some of us can get it and some of us can't. And that's just the way it is. But just to see the facts laid bare, it blows my mind that it's still to this day like denied and treated. So as a, one of the <laughs> one of the conspiracies that Brent and I have, I guess, come up with ourselves. I don't know if other people have thought about this too. We just, you know, we like thought experiments. Yeah. Is that QAnon itself was a, a, psyop. a, a psyop of some sort, and that the point of that You're not alone. <laughs> that the point of that was to, to take the discussion. Yes, to attach these concepts, right? That there are secret groups of peas out there you know doing these things as with the crazy conspiracy mindset and the people who the capital so this is funny meme that i used to share but it was like you know the bus driver on simpsons and he's like don't make me tap the sign and it was a tweet and the guy he said something along the lines of um you know the conspiracy part of QAnon wasn't that there's a satanic group of peas in our government it's that there's a secret group in there who are trying to save us. That's the <laughs> conspiracy theory, is that there's some group of heroes in the government somehow who are going to save us and are leaking that's information. That's the ridiculous part. That's yeah. the lie. That's the lie. The true part of it is the other stuff. Is like right. there, there are elite, I don't know if you want to use the word satanic, I know Christians will use that word, but there are a, an elite of dark type of people. Dark magicians. Dark magicians, <laughs> you could call them that too. Um, maybe some of them call themselves that. That's another thing. So. This is the same as when they invented the term conspiracy theorist as a derogatory yeah. term itself, right? The Q is like an a elaboration of that same methodology. And it's so effective that people will now say, if you go up to someone and, and you say like, oh yeah, the JFK assassination is very suspect. I, I'm not sure that, the, I don't think the official story is what actually happened. They're like, oh, you're queuing on. Yes. You're like, dude, QAnon yeah. just happened. You're correct. It's like that term is now synonymous as a dismissive term. It's the same, you know, with conspiracy theory. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah. And that, that was the point is that every time you bring up these subjects, um, specifically dealing with the predators in our government who are doing things to kids and stuff, they want people to immediately think like, oh, that's just a crazy conspiracy theory immediately. So they dismiss it. So they don't even allow the thought to enter their mind to have the conversation. And then I have friends, dear friends who are very intelligent, who are in this whole sort of community too, who were into Q and they have found all of these things that actually are very fascinating. Right. And you're like, okay, 
So, but this goes back to this interesting idea that a lot of people have that these psychopathic elite, if whatever you want to call them, uh, have to tell you what they're doing because they have to have some level of consent or something, right? And for whatever reason, or that it just helps their magic work if everybody kind of can know about it at some level. I don't know. I don't know why that might be true, right? But there's some people have that idea and, and some of the people who are in this whole Q movement we're able to pull out some things that you're like, well, why would that? Why would they put that out? So it seems to hit on all these levels at once, and a lot of what they tend to do does tend to work at multiple levels at once. So was it a psyop? Yeah. Did it like make us a new derogatory dismissal for every single thing that you question about the mainstream narrative? Yeah. And did it also then, you know, reveal the method and get this sort of consent and like actually put out some of their admissals of what they are actually doing? I think so. Yeah, I think well, we're some of that too. The best lie always has its truth, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that I think the methodology of, of this stuff, propaganda in particular, to have effective, good propaganda is you have to mix some truth into it. And that's what makes the lie more palatable. It's kind of like like hiding like a dog's medicine in their food. So yes. Granted, they, 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 they don't always fall for that so <laughs> they'll eat around it and they know it's in there like i know it's in there <laughs> people like us you know we can smell we can smell it in there we know that the truth is in there just, <laughs> like that the lie so, is mixed in there right yeah. so over the top yeah. and it went on for so long and then they they made all these promises that never came true yeah. and then yeah. the, the big red flag for me personally was that the flat earth thing was prece preceded QAnon by like six months. So like, mm -hmm. if you study the history of the flat earth movement and how it got really popular and it was like a meme for a long time, it like, it, you know, it, it kind of was a flash in the pan and then it was gone. And then there was this like six month period and then all of a sudden QAnon started up. And I was just like, this is too much the same thing, but with like a little bit, like they were testing, like, I don't know, they were they were doing like, I feel like the flat earth thing was sort of a, a, a credulity test. Yeah. They were, they wanted to put out an obvious untruth and then sort of gauge, okay, what percentage of the population would be receptive to that? And they got an answer. So it just, it struck me. I was like, this is, this is much the same thing. So yeah, it's like, I, I can't believe that, you know, it, that that works on a lot of people. But then again, it's, it's a lot easier to believe that, you know, that there's this crazy conspiracy theory about the government, you know, you know, the, the elites being, I hate using that word too. I know. Because um, they're not elite. They're actually like they probably some are. of the lowest yeah. form of human life on well, the planet. Going yeah. back, <laughs> <'cause> ironically, <laughs> yeah. going back to some of what I was saying earlier though, about how the occult attracts these sort of self-important, arrogant type people who think they're better than everyone. This is how they view themselves, that they they are advanced. They can understand the secrets of the universe. And uh, I, think, I think a lot of them are transhumanists and all that stuff too, and that they want to be immortal. They want to figure out how to live forever. Upload their minds yes. into the consciousness and of the universe. They, we are, they view us as below them in the universal hierarchy things. See, and I, I think that's the real reason why they put truth out. I think they like to laugh at us. I think they're yeah. like, look at you. I told you the truth and you still don't even know what's going on. You feel Probably something through that. Yeah. Well, there's the duper's delight, right? This is right. when the, the pathological personality gets off on being able to trick people or yep. to be able to, you know, to, to have, you know, their victim know that they're the one that did it, but nobody else believes them. Yeah. It's, it's like that on a macro social yes. scale. Yeah. We're all, and we're all like, Cassandra's too, because we see it coming down the line and way ahead. And we're just like, guys, 
and then people just you're crazy they dismiss you and even when it finally comes true they yeah. don't come back and go like oh my god how did you know yeah. they're just like well yeah of course it's true and you're like, like what the what the jab like the jab pass yes so many of us were calling that very early. We were like, guys, they're going to mandate this and they're going to make freaking passports to let us do things. Like, watch. And they're going to want to track everything and everywhere you go. Oh, that's crazy. That's a conspiracy theory. And then when it started happening and you started to point it out, they were like, well, that's crazy. That's a conspiracy theory. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> or they justified it. And they were like, well, yeah, but we have to because yeah. otherwise the kids will die. And you're like, oh, it's actually whatever. a good thing. Yeah. You're like, you just went from telling me that it's not happening to telling me it's a good now thing. No, it's a good thing. Should, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Mind blowing. All right. Why, why can't we just have a nice meal? <laughs> All right. We are, what are we near? How, we're, how long we're are we going? 114. 114. How are you on time, Lindsay? I'm, I'm okay. Okay, we'll go for a little. We'll go for a little, we'll go for more, a little more. I mean, maybe we can get get some. I guess round it off at around ninety minutes. Round it off with some final thoughts from Lindsay, perhaps. So, I wanted to ask: When did you start to? When did you decide? Like, all right, I'm going to be more outspoken about these things that interest me. Not just the spiritual stuff and all of that, but you know, politics, the pathological personalities, all that stuff. When did when did it dawn on you? When did it click? Like, all right, I need. I, I want to speak out about these things more no matter how people perceive me um it's, it's hard for me to answer because i never didn't so all the people who know me in my life are like oh yeah she's like not We've always been like know, her whole life yeah like she'll just talk about whatever weird shit all the time so um that's true i always knew professionally i'm not going to talk to i didn't even talk to my professional peers about like crocheting like my whole goal was <laughs> not really talk to them because yeah. I did I was like I don't want to lie about who I am and if I tell you anything about who I am you will no longer talk to me or respect me so we'll just I'll just nod and smile and let you tell me about you and that was kind of how I lived my life um so I I never wasn't speaking about things um when I decided to start doing a show and start treating the public as I have always treated my friends and family that was just an accident, honestly. I was in a group of people who was very, very excited about a very specific podcast, and it was a it was a group about that podcast. And they were like, "Wouldn't it be fun if we all got together and like talked about the podcast each week?" And I was like, "Yeah, that would be fun." And they're like, "Will you lead it?" And I was like, "Sure." So I made like a podcast about a podcast. It was public it wasn't private and so eventually though i was like why am i just making a podcast about a podcast when i already have a lifetime of experiences and my own knowledge and understanding and like you know this so i started talking about anything i wanted and made it my own podcast not about another podcast um and that was about four years ago i think um so for me it was so much fun because i finally got to really full time be who i really am instead of just on my off hours um and i just have never had any compunction about saying what I think. And especially if someone asks me. So there were a few times, even at work, where someone would say something like, I don't know, what do you think about AI? And I'd be like, well. <laughs> now that you mention it. Let me tell you, Sophia the robot and a bunch of other crazy stuff. And then we can really talk. But by the time you show them Sophia talking about the humanity being enslaved via neural implant, you've lost them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, about four years ago is when I started the podcast, but I really have always been um, outspoken about whatever it is that I'm about, even when it wasn't conspiracy or paranormal related. I'm just a loud person who doesn't shut up. Awesome. What are, <laughs> what are fans some, of that energy? Yeah. What, are, uh, 
what are some of your favorite books or books that have influenced you or inspired you in some way and favorite authors? Ooh. Um, if I'm going just like my personal personal yeah. favorites, I'm going to say Kurt Vonnegut and Ursula okay. K. Le Guin okay. and, D and Dave Eggers are three of my very favorite authors in the world. Eggers, I'm not familiar with. Ursula, the other two, I'm familiar I, I don't, with. I remember Dave Eggers is, uh, what made him popular? It was called uh, the... She did Earthsea. That's, that's God. Yeah, she just died. It was sad. My, one of my favorite books by her is uh, The Word for World is Forest. But Agers did The Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. Okay. It's a beautiful book. And all of his work is really, he's a great author. But he's more sort of nonfiction. Ursula is the sci fi, and, and of course, yeah. Kurt Rowling, well, we all know. Her, I'm familiar with, but I, I haven't read Ursula. But I'm familiar her, with her because she's from the same era as like Philip K. Dick, and I was doing a lot of reading about him and the sci-fi era of the '60s and '70s. But I'm a fan of Dick. I've read a couple of his novels. Yeah, he's also a great one. I also recently—it's not maybe favorite author I'll say, but it's one of my favorite books of all time. Now that I've read it, is um, Guy Murchie's *The Seven Mysteries of Life*. It is a just phenomenal. I mean, literally, it is. It's the second best book I've ever read after The NeverEnding Story, which I know no one expects to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but The NeverEnding Story is also a great book. Anybody who's into uh, alchemy, philosophy, hermeticism, and just life and how strange and crazy our psychology is. I'm into all of that. You will love The NeverEnding Story if you've never read the book. It's okay. way different than the movie, and it's okay. It's amazing. It's a, it, is, it is a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, actually. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I, I've never. I don't think I've actually ever read the book. Yeah, we need to. Go I, most people haven't. Most people think that it's a children's book. It, it's one of those books that's disguised as a children's book, but it's actually like a manual to all of life in the universe. And it's this was, you know, alchemists did this typically. They spoke in allegory. They used symbol and parable to conceal the great work in plain sight. It's so beautiful, and I. I cannot tell people enough. And then if you finally read it, you go, oh, my God, it, it's true. <laughs> Written in green language, Brent. Yes. 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 And yeah. I love if you can find one of the versions of it that have it. I think a lot of them do. But each chapter starts with a lithograph of the letter of the alphabet. So there's 26 chapters, um, uh, ABC, you know, all the way through. And the, it's, those are beautiful, too. They're really well done. Yeah, Ooh, yeah I, I, I love the lithographs, Daniel. Calligraphy is so cute. And I love, like, illuminated manuscripts and all yeah. that. I'm like, so into that nerdy shit. <laughs> See, and Guy Murchie's His Seven Mysteries of Life is so fantastic, too, because he's an artist and he uses pointillism to do all of these little diagrams and things. And he uh, actually goes through, like, the natural history of everything, the chemical, the every, like, it's a science book but yeah. it's written in poetry and it's beautiful it's oh, wow. such a good book <laughs> buckminster fuller wrote a little review of it really yeah uh, he's one of my favorite people too, on the so. cover there's a quote of the book and he says embraces all the most important information about everything humanity needs to know for continuance aboard planet earth wow. or anywhere else in the universe i agree with him someone else said something about uh, it that it's um everything that you would get from a fantastic four-year college uh, experience and more wow. in one book. <laughs> this is yeah. such a good book. It's a That's, great book. Yeah. Well, this is why I love books so much. Um, honestly, anyone 
anyone out there who like drops thousands of dollars on a degree could just take that money yes. and buy their own library, build their own library and learn all that and more without, you know, for probably a fraction of the cost. With no agenda, a fraction of the cost and you get way more out of it. Yeah. yeah I curriculum. And I'm not saying there's no value in teachers either. No. I know there is a value in having someone. Not, not these days. <laughs> more, more knowledgeable and more experienced. Well, we're talking in the current context of public yeah. school and the American college institution. It's yes, like, but despite, yeah. despite the value of teachers, any good teacher, the best teacher will teach you to be an autodidact, to be yeah. someone who's a self-learner who self-teaches. So again, like I said, you could take all that money and for the fraction of the cost of a university, build your own library, do your own curriculum, teach yourself. So. I said the same thing and the teachers I worked with were like, why are you trying to teach yourself out of a job? And I was like, my hope, my great hope is that we never have these jobs again. Like that would be ideal. <laughs> and it's not because I don't love students and I love my students. I love children. I love teaching, but dear God, like let's make a populace that doesn't need us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. On, on that note, I think we should wrap it up. Right? Okay. We'll wrap yeah. it up. So everybody, you could find Lindsay at rogueways.org. There are links to her Twitter profile and yes. YouTube soul. and website I will put in the description and don't forget to like subscribe comment give us money things <laughs> donate if you are so inclined yes, there seriously. are ways to donate in the description and we will be back again soon with another one thank you again Lindsay for joining us and talking and getting all weird with us we love getting weird yeah seriously I love it. It's so much we'll, fun. we'll totally have to have you back again so we can talk more weird Anytime. Because I feel like things are only going to get weirder. They are. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Awesome. Anytime. Later, guys. Okay, bye-bye.